you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. EJ, as we approach the holiday season coming in a couple months, I only have one wish. One wish, and that's it. And that's for NFL teams to stop trying to run shovel passes inside the five-yard line. It is driving me up a wall. Zach Taylor tried it again, other than running literally anything else that has a higher success rate historically inside the five-yard line. Well, first of all, they tried Philly Special, which didn't work. And then they tried a shuffle pass, which also didn't work. I am at my wit's end with everybody trying to be the Chiefs. There's a reason the Chiefs are the Chiefs and the Ravens are the Ravens to a degree. Uh, I actually went and pulled the stats for it because I'm thinking about doing a film room episode just on this one play on this shovel option inside the five, which has of taken the league by of, storm. Of course you are. It, it's it's maddening. There have been uh, 49 or 50 of them called at this point in the last two seasons, going back to the end of 2020, and the Chiefs and Ravens account for over half of the successes. Everybody else, it's abysmal. The success rate is terrible. And everybody keeps trying it, and it never works, and I'm over it. But we'll talk more about that and a lot more on today's show. Uh, we have a lot of interesting things to go over for the week that was in week five. Um, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of ugly. We have some coach firing news to go over. We have some potential trades and also already done trades to go over. Just a whole lot of things to discuss on today's show, but I won't waste any more time on the intro. EJ, buddy, how you doing? What are you drinking today? Here I thought you were going to wish for either health after last week because that seems pretty relevant or your two front teeth and all you want is shovel passes to end. What are you, anti-fun? See, I still have that dry cough, by the way. I'm on like I, I two solid weeks of this thing, and I still can't quite kick it. Like, I can talk. I can do the show this week. Last week, it was terrible. Uh, but it's it's just hanging around, and Mucinex <laughs> only does so much. I'm, I'm over I, it. I was uh, I, I dove back into Hot Wings, the show. Are you familiar? Yeah. Great, great show because the interview quality is really high and the questions are great, and I love that. But obviously, there's hot sauce involved, and I was rewatching the Trevor Noah one last night. <laughs> he gets to the end. He's like on sauce number 8 out of 10. For those of you that are unfamiliar, they eat increasingly hot, hot wings and, and answer questions. <laughs> Trevor Noah's like, I got that weed cough, man. <laughs> See? See? I still got I got too. you. Yep. God See? Damn it. I got you. Uh, no, I am fine. I am drinking coffee because we get to do this in the mornings now, which is fantastic. 
So uh, non-modified coffee, I do have my shot of the week for, for a little bit of modified, you know, fun later in the show. But interesting week. Uh, some things that we've been talking about for multiple weeks in three down came to pass. We'll, we'll talk about that in our news section. But overall, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. It was an entertaining week. There were some really interesting games. They kind of fell into two categories, like nail biters and blowouts. And yeah. both of them had different and interesting storylines that, that we'll get into. But um, a bit more uh, have and have not this week in the NFL. Well, I think I think we're starting to see the cream kind of rise to the top a little bit, you know, which usually after the first month of the season, things shake out and things that seemed like anomalies in the first few weeks all of a sudden become the new norm, like, say, the Broncos offense being bad and the Panthers being historically bad and the Niners being uh, ridiculously good in pretty much all phases. Um, you know, this is when things solidify and kind of become real. And so we are starting to see the elite teams really separate themselves from everybody else. Um, but that being said, why don't we get into news and notes first segment of the day? Uh, luckily, because we, we don't do this on Sunday night, we do this on Monday morning. We actually had time for this news to come out. And it did come out first things first on this Monday morning. Matt Rule is the first head coach fired of the year, uh, which he was the heavy favorite going into the year to be the first coach fired. So this isn't that surprising. Um, the offense has just really, under his entire tenure, never come together, regardless of who's been the one calling plays. Uh, and the defense, it's been good, but streaky is how I would describe it. So I, I just think that there was there was really no saving grace here. There was really no like, ah, they're almost there. This team looks like it's three years away, just like when they first hired him when we thought it was three years away. They haven't really moved forward at all. They still have some fun, talented pieces, which may or may not get traded away. I'm sure every single fan base in the league is like, gimme, gimme, gimme Brian Burns, but um, that remains to be seen. I, I'm sure even Christian McCaffrey might be talked about as somebody who could be traded because this team is in full-on rebuild mode again and could be looking at a fire sale here. But with Rule specifically owed more than $40 million left on the contract, which is guaranteed, so he could just not work for the rest of his life and make $40 million. I think it's it sucks, obviously, to get fired from any job, but hell of a Hell of a golden parachute there, all things considered. Like, he's he's doing okay, and he could always go get a job at Nebraska or whatever college program wants to hire him. So, <laughs> Rule is doing fine. His assistants, and my friend Rivers McCown pointed this out on Twitter, his assistants are who I really feel bad for because they don't have the $40 million contract, and they also are now, you know, on the firing line with him. Uh, and, and most of most, if not all of them, won't be retained after this year. So they're going to have to, you know, uproot their families and go find new jobs without having tens of millions of dollars in the bank. So usually, when a head coach gets fired like this, those are the people you really feel for because they don't have that same parachute. And uh, I wish all of his assistants the best in uh, in trying to land on their feet because it's a it's a tough thing. It's not great for the organization. Mid-season firings are incredibly rough. They don't have great success rates. The interim NFL head coach, I think, is one of the hardest positions in all of sports mm -hmm. because you are inheriting a 
franchise, obviously, that was underperforming, wildly underperforming. That's the only reason to fire a coach in season. And even then, it's a tough thing to do because you're, the chances that you will see a turnaround, the chances that what happened with the Raiders last year with Riz Brissachin are incredibly low. They're kind of like shovel passes in Kansas City. Like it's only going to happen once out of 10 or 15 times. The other 10 or 15 times, you're going to limp to the finish. You might see fits and starts. That coach has very little chance of being retained statistically. Um, All the players are fighting for their jobs, and there's not certainty about the direction of the franchise, like you said. And there is this, do we go, do we not go? Now, I think Carolina's farther along than most people think they are. I think they have wildly underperformed, and that comes down to coaching, and that is a reason to fire your coach. Don't think we're necessarily going to see the turnaround, but already on social media, as as will happen when this happens, people are talking about what-ifs. And the what-if of, I don't know, Bryce Young, Sean Mm. Payton, and... You know, insert X two or three other players here. That team could look a whole lot better than they have. Are they going to be beating the world? No. Are they going to be a threat to win every week with Sean Payton, a real quarterback, and, you know, a few tweaks? They could be. The defense is stacked. The offense has enough playmakers to compete, not necessarily to just sweep people. So you can turn it around pretty quickly in the NFL. Will they? That's a whole nother question. And in the interim, you know, Steve Wilkes uh, gets to take this team forward. Um, John Ellis, who's hooked in with the Panthers beat, made a really good point that, you know, Wilkes is a is a not a Panthers lifer, but a legacy guy. He was there before with Ron Rivera and um, he understands the team and the fan base and everything else. But, you know, his chances to be the next head coach, everybody would like that to happen. Wilkes seems like a very solid guy. It's not likely. So it's a rough it's going to be. Continuing rough seas for Carolina. I don't think they're like three years away by any stretch, but if they go on a fire sale and say, no, we're going to clean it down to the studs, they might be. And that's that's one approach. We'll we'll have to see, wait and see how this goes. There's a lot going on. I'm glad Rule is gone. He was definitely the thumb on the head of this organization. Firing Joe Brady should have been a sign, right? (laughs) Because he didn't like the run-pass balance. That seemed really weak, and they've done only worse since. So a little bit of this is self, well, a lot of this is self-inflicted and we'll see if they can't get it turned around. I think in terms of leading candidates for the job, uh, D'Amico Ryan's the man who just beat the tar out of them is, is first in line. At least if it was, if I was making the hire, he'd be first in line. The question is whether D'Amico Ryan's would want that job, knowing that the quarterback position is so unsettled. They don't have that much draft capital. And if they want to get more draft capital to go after a quarterback, they're going to have to get rid of Brian Burns probably to get another first round pick. They're going to have to, you know, potentially deal Christian McCaffrey to try to get like a a third or a fourth round pick just to give themselves ammo. So this is going to be another tear it down to the stud. Well, not completely down to the studs, tear it down to the, the insulation, so to speak. (laughs) um, Type thing. And it's, you know, to Ryan's with his first head coaching opportunity. Is that, what he wants to do or we talked about this on the live stream like literally on the thursday live stream we talked about this very possibility we said if he leaves you know who would you say and i said ryan's and you said the same thing i said ryan's because of the fit with the defense but you said "Mm, 
ownership quarterback i'm not sure that if i'm D'Amico ryan's the leading candidate probably for most jobs this next offseason do i pick that as my first head coaching landing spot and it's it's a legitimate question we'll have to see teams without quarterbacks man you gotta hit on the quarterback everybody knows this we talk about this all the time it's the most important decision and the hit rate ain't great so uh, you know, head coaching opportunity, cool. If it's your only one, take a look. If it, you have multiples and there is an established quarterback at another spot where head coach moves, the attractiveness goes way up. Yeah, it's just, it's always something to keep in mind is, especially, not to completely take this discussion off track, with how few opportunities black head coaching candidates get, they have to be selective with the job they take because they might not get a second chance. Like Todd Bowles getting his second chance was a rarity. And so when D'Amico Ryans eventually gets the job, which he's been talked about as a head coaching candidate for what, like four years now, when he eventually gets that job, he has to choose the best possible situation because unfortunately, based on historical trends of, of opportunities that black head coaching candidates get, he might not get another one. So yeah, he'll Just be fired. Statistically, he'll be fired more quickly, and the chance that he gets a repeat opportunity are much lower than his uh, non-black peers. Like, for me, he's already a Texans legend. Bring him back to Houston. I would love that. Yeah. I would absolutely love that, but, you know, I'm a Texans fan, so we don't get to have nice things. Anyway, <laughs> uh, second little bit of news here. Falcons dealt Deion Jones to the Browns. They got a 2024 seventh-round pick. Uh, and Falcons also got back, uh, or sorry, they sent a 2024 seventh along with Deion Jones and got back a 2024 sixth round pick. Browns lost Anthony Walker uh, a couple weeks ago, and then Barry wanted to, to bring in somebody that could help shore up their depth. Uh, the fall off, I would say, uh, for Deion Jones, you know, for where, for what he was a few years ago, which was, you know, a lot of people saw him as like a top five, six linebacker in the league, to now quote-unquote, only being worth a middle-of-day-three pick two drafts from now, which is the equivalent of nothing. Like, that's yeah. a we-want-him-off-the-books deal. Like, please take him from us for whatever. Uh, the the fall-off of Deion Jones is what I find most fascinating because that's probably the price he was worth at this point. Like, he was not playing well um, for the last couple of years. And I, I don't know what happened because for a long time he was seen as like the future of the position. He was seen as, you know, like the modern, lighter, rangy linebacker that could cover and, you know, make plays out in space and he could rush the pass. Like he did everything. He was, uh, he was JOK before JOK. In fact, I compared JOK to him when JOK was coming out. And now he's, he's this. And I, I truly don't know what happened, but it, it just fascinates me. Deion Jones is a player that I bring up fairly often because he is one of the guys in the draft that made me go back and change my opinions. When he was coming out, I liked his game, loved his activity, loved his instincts, and I was like, look, this guy plays under 220 regularly. That just doesn't fly anymore. Deion Jones came out, got drafted, put up 100 tackles, took the league by storm, and I had to go back and say, hmm, maybe that shift has occurred. 
right? I, I think it has. There's evidence that that shift has occurred. And Deion Jones was that guy for me. I had to go back and say, I'm not going to undervalue linebackers that play under 220 if they look like Deion Jones and have that range, those skills, um, because the old take on the pulling guard bit isn't as important in the modern NFL, and he was one of those sort of watershed moments for me. This comes back to, in terms of what we think happened, fit, right? He does not fit in Arthur Smith's plan for that defense. And that's a weird thing to say because Arthur Smith was hired as offensive head coach. But Arthur Smith and his staff in Atlanta, Deion Jones was not a fit. As soon as they came in, he dropped completely off a cliff. Now, is that the player dropping off a cliff or is it mesh with the system? Could be a little bit of both. Linebacker is a high wear position, just like running back. But this has more to do with fit. If you look at the precipitous drop in Jones's play, it's with Smith's arrival, Smith and his staff's arrival. So that's one side of it for the sort of postmortem what happened in Atlanta. The other one that's more interesting to me because this is a buy low situation. Obviously, what you said, the compensation is roughly a ham sandwich that traded, <laughs> you know, hands between these two teams is. And we said this when Walker went down. We were watching that game, and we said, "Ooh, that's a, that's a bad one." Like that's yeah. people don't understand what he means to that team outside of probably the Cleveland fan base. He's he's kind of a cog. He's a guy they lean on to do a lot of things. And I really think this is Andrew Barry saying, "Nope, we're not, we're not just happy to be here with Jacoby Brissett. We're we're gonna stay loaded. We're gonna be active." before the deadline we're going to go out and get more players we think we're in a position to make a run the browns have played really well jacoby Brissett has played i would say above pretty much all expectation and this to me is the indication this is the interesting part of this trade is andrew barry going no no we're not out we're in like we're gonna it it's not a ton of risk but we're we're gonna spend we're gonna get guys that we could buy low on that we think will fit obviously you mentioned jok jok is there um, you know, they've drafted other linebackers like Tony Fields Jr. who also, also came up when Austin Eckler puts up 200 yards on you, you, you really, that, that I think honestly, yesterday's game was when Barry was like, I can't fucking do this. Another that's week. it. Like, yeah. We, we, we miss Walker and they do, they miss him, but this is them sort of pushing more chips into the middle of the table, which obviously they've done in many ways. We've talked about that, um, preseason, that's the interesting part to me here is the Browns are like, no, we see opportunity not only within this team, but within our division, which is the path to the playoffs. Like we're, we're going to go all in to replace Walker. Uh, it doesn't seem like from a compensation standpoint, but again, what you can get mid season, this is a, a decently sized swing for the Browns. The risk is low, but it indicates that they've got their foot on the gas and they want to keep it that way. Third note in this segment and last note in this segment, uh, Tom Brady, became the first player and in all likelihood will be the only player ever in NFL history to surpass a hundred thousand career yards, which is a record that I didn't even think would be possible. Um, I, you know, we, we see quarterbacks these days celebrate and get, you know, moments paused in the game when they get like to 50,000, you know, cause they, Oh, they've been playing for 10 years or 12 years or 15 years or whatever. And they finally get to 50,000. Brady doubled that. It's just absurd. It's crazy. And there's maybe two other quarterbacks alive today that if they can play for 20 years might catch that. 
and it's uh, you know it's Pat Mahomes and, and Aaron Rodgers, but other than that, like I, I don't think anybody's ever even going to get close to to this record. It's just it's nuts. Yeah, we were at week one, uh, you know, Bills Rams, and Stafford hits the mark, and they pause, throw the big thing up on the video board. We were both like, "This is really cool. This is an NFL moment that we sort of weren't paying attention to, weren't expecting, and and we're here. We got to see it live. That's really awesome. It's half." It's 50%. Uh, You know, people argue all the time, oh, Brady's not the best quarterback ever. And I'm like, what? In what world is that not the case? You can say you like him or hate him. You can say, and people do, everything about his personal life, about the teams he played on, whether or not they cheated. You, You can say all of that stuff. But when you go and you look at the records and all the other quarterbacks that you love that were on your team, the Youngs and Montanas and yeah, insert quarterback X here. doesn't matter. Whichever quarterback you love. And then you look at Brady and they're all down here and Brady is up here and there's this big air gap between them. I don't care whether it's playoff appearances, playoff wins, Super Bowl appearances, Super Bowl wins, yards, completions. Uh, you know, you, you can cherry pick almost any stat and Brady's at the top of it. And it's not just, he's not just a grinder, right? He is a grinder. Absolutely. To have played this long, but it's also grind with quality. And that's what makes these records pretty unassailable. Like there is a slim to none chance that somebody's going to go after this thing because that combination of nose to the grindstone in a just absolutely sort of psychotic way and the skill to go with it it just it doesn't come along never has brady's the first uh and you know possibly the last if anybody even sniffs this record it'll be a huge credit to them um because 100k is i mean like stafford's had very productive years he had him in in detroit he obviously had a very good year in la last year he just got to fifty thousand, and like his elbow's breaking down and he's broken his base played with broken back. Like, you know, another, like double that, like just take that career and double it. Like, I, I don't, I don't think so. So also, solid. by the way, a little point of clarification, cause I, ver- I forgot to mention off the top, this is regular and postseason combined. 85,000 of it is regular season. Uh, 15,000 was postseason. And, and so I know some people were like, he didn't get to 100. He did, but you have to combine everything. He's the first to ever get 100,000 combined. Um, the note that I f- forgot to mention so that 15,000 just postseason yardage, right? <laughs> that is the equivalent yardage right now of the entirety of Josh Allen's four and a half year career so far. So take all of Josh Allen. Everything he's ever done in the NFL, that is just Tom Brady in the month of January. So, yeah, shit's it's crazy. We're never going to see it again. Yeah. Two more things, actually, in news and notes. I lied. I forgot we had these as well. Number Shocker. one, we're welcoming a, a new executive producer to bootleg uh, over the executive producer tier over on Patreon. That is Taylor. Thank you, Taylor, for stepping up uh, and supporting us. We really, really appreciate you. We're going to thank you again at the end of the show. But wanted to put that at the top. Uh, Taylor, you're a fucking legend. And then uh, number two, we are going to be in Buffalo in 17 days from the time we record this. We're yeah. going to be on the uh, or at the Sunday night game between the Packers and the Bills, speaking of Josh Allen. And uh, we're going to be in Buffalo for like four or five days. EJ obviously has a lot of family up there. 
Um, I'm going to be up there eating as many wings as humanly possible and saying as hi to saying hi to as many of our Western New Yorker fans as I possibly can. So uh, if you're going to be at that game or around that game on October 30th, Packers Bills, please let us know down in the comments below. We'll link up. We'll grab a beer. We'll do something. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward. Fall's my favorite time to go to upstate New York, having grown up there. The game is amazing. This came about as sort of a whim. We were talking about it with the Rock Pile Report guys. Maybe it'll happen. And then we ran into a a friend of mine down in Texas who I'd forgotten was a Packers fan who I grew up with in New York. And he's like, if you go, I'll go. And I was like, we should, we should, we should do this. And we got tickets. We're going to make it happen. Like Brett said, we are going to be there for multiple number of days. So more details to come on all that, but we wanted to let everybody know it is happening. We do have our tickets. We'll let folks know where to where to show up, hang out, say hi, um, and and just enjoy what it should be a great football game. If you know if everybody stays healthy, come on, you're looking at Rogers versus Allen and a Bills team that we'll talk about a bit later on in the show that is just mashing people. So looks to be like it's going to be a really great time all the way around. All right, let's get to that Thursday night game, which if you joined us for our our Thursday night live stream, uh, where we had to basically vamp for two hours straight because, good God, nothing was happening. That was one of the worst football games I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I want to thank you, uh, uh, Prize Picks, for for paying us to watch it because I don't know if I would have unless we were being paid to. Uh, but, But, EJ, because I'm me, even through that shit show of a game, I still hit four to five in my slip. I hit the over on Matt Ryan. I hit the over on Alec Pierce. I hit the over on Russell Wilson. I hit the over on Cortland Sutton. I might have hit the over on Naheem Hines if, unfortunately, he didn't get hurt on, like, his first touch of the game. Um, now it took five quarters to do it. <laughs> but it's okay. Overs are overs. Uh, what, I, what I want to talk specifically about, uh, specifically about that game, though, is the sheer difficulty of the Broncos offense. And I don't mean difficulty in terms of like, oh, they're asking Russ to do too much or, you know, difficulty in terms of like play calling verbiage or anything like that. The difficulty in the sense of how hard they make it on themselves, because I mean, just to hit a 230 yard over on Russell Wilson and a 65 yard over on Cortland Sutton, it was a fucking slog because the receivers, you know, Jerry Judy, especially making mistake after mistake, like just in terms of, uh, you know, catch technique, like trying to underhand something that was above his shoulder pads when you should be going for the diamond, um, you know, not understanding that uh, a safety can speed turn over the top of you and he's trying to basket catch something deep down the field rather than jumping and trying to meet the ball at its highest point at the catch point and winning on a jump ball. He just trusted that he was going to separate. And it's like, nah, dude, safeties in the NFL are pretty fucking fast too. Like you're, you're going to have to actually compete for the ball. Um, you know, there were other crucial drops. Like Cortland Sutton was not immune from mistakes as well. The receivers make it so damn hard on Russ sometimes. Not that Russ is playing well, but he's playing better than what the box score says because this receiving core has vastly underperformed relative to their talent level. They really miss Tim Patrick. Um, they're struggling to run the ball. Like the Javante Williams injury, just because he was able to break so many tackles, even when things went weren't well blocked. Uh, the Javante Williams injury has really hurt them. Uh, the, the fumbles from Melvin Gordon have hurt them. Like this offense just, it, 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 it doesn't work. And it's not 
just a design thing. It's not just a play calling thing. It's the fact that the players, even around their quarterback, are not making things easy on him. And it's going to be even worse because now you're at your left tackle. In fact, now you're out 40% of your starting offensive line and you're out your best running back and you're out your, your, your best jump ball receiver. They're almost too thin to make me think that they can get out of the de- out of this death spiral because at least based on the first five week sample, none of them are playing well. Like <laughs> just none of them are playing well. I, I don't know what to what to say about it. Well, we need to say what we're saying about it, which is this isn't just growing pains. This isn't just adjustment between a new quarterback and a new coaching staff who which has already been bolstered right they already added a coach in week three which is a rare step for a new especially new nfl coaching staff for the organization to say hey we're gonna we're gonna hire somebody else to help you because it looks like you need some help and you know truth be told they'll never say it but there's some panic going on behind the scenes with the broncos they with the amount of investment and the way Russell Wilson has played. Yes, the team around him, it is a team sport. You mentioned Tim Patrick was a big one early on. Bulls going out in this game with a broken leg, not not good, like really, really bad. But even so, if you add all that together, Wilson's had some down roster years with the Hawks where he's been able to elevate the team. Instead, seems like the opposite's happening. Like he's dropping further off the cliff. So he's not helping. They're not helping him. This isn't an offense that's like close. That's like one thing away. It's like multiple bad things on every play from really making anything look easy or competent. And for those of you that would argue, even Broncos fans, this is the one that just pushed me over the edge. Brock Osweiler. Trevor Simeon and Drew Locke, Broncos legends. <laughs> yeah, okay. All had more touchdowns, a better touchdown to interception ratio, better completion percentage, and a higher QB rating through five weeks than Russell Wilson did. All of them did. All of them with, had with all of those stats. Too. Right. All of them. Osweiler, Simeon, and Locke all had all of those stats better than Russell Wilson through five weeks. So at that point, you can't really go, oh, it's just a... No, it's not just a anything. It's an issue. It's going to be hard to come back from, especially with all the uh, injuries. And Hackett, for the most part, again, it's very early, hasn't shown the ability to adapt and switch. We're going to talk about a coach that's got a somewhat depressed roster who's making things happen that is, I think, evidence of really solid coaching, saying, what do we really have? What can we really do? Hackett hasn't shown that so far. So the Broncos, you know, yeah, it was a terrible game. Yeah, we had to vamp through the whole thing. And yeah, many people said it was the worst NFL game ever or at least it was in the running and when you've played as many games as they have in the NFL that's a thing but I have to agree with them I've watched a lot of NFL games it's in the running it was a terrible terrible football game you got OT got lucky on your slip woohoo some silver lining out of the whole thing that's great but if you're Broncos fan this is tough because you can't just this isn't a one-year gig you can't just take Russell Wilson and jettison he's got a hundred million in dead money 100 million plus in dead money next year so this isn't a like oh well we'll just do this with russ and that will be fine 
No, you you're committed. This is the gig for at least this year and next year. And looking at the gig so far, that's gotta be an item of concern. The fact that this team lost to the Colts, who we are going to talk about later in the show, they lost to the Colts, which might be the worst 500 football team I've ever seen in the month of October. Like this, this is not a good football team, and and Matt Ryan looks cooked. Who again? We're, we're we will we'll talk dedicate about that. ample time to. Yeah, they still lost to them. That's how dire straits they're in right now. So I. I don't personally see a way, a quick way. There is a way out, but it's multiple layers. I don't see a quick way out of this death spiral unless every single receiver like, just gets their shit together at the same time because all the receivers are having problems. Uh, Russ's shoulder lat strain oh, that, of God. course, of course you knew that that report was coming out after that game. It's like, oh, he's been playing with it, but he's, he's tough. He's going to gut through it. It's like, okay. Sure. Um, I'm not denying denying its existence, but I am just, I think it's you might be denying that, its importance. I, it's just funny how that report always comes out, you know, after and yeah. that's not just Russ, any like star quarterback, right. you know, it's, they have a rough stretch and it's like, oh, but he's hurt. And it's like, okay, it's the, we gotta say something press release, right? Yeah. We cannot just say, wow, he was just flat awful. Like every NFL player plays with, I don't even want to call them nicks and dings. Plays with injuries. Let's just call them what they are. From fairly minor stuff that you or I could probably walk through, they don't even talk about those because they all have those, but then things that you or I probably couldn't walk through, and they play with that stuff. They go between the white lines and put themselves out there. So, you know, you could have a list every week, but you you nailed it. It's like clockwork. After one of these, you're going to hear about whatever's on that player's list, regardless of whether you would have, you know, if they'd won, they wouldn't yeah. have said anything about it. Not a, not a thing. But instead, it's a big press release. Hey, Russ went and saw a doctor. He got a, he got a shot, and it was just like X's shot because X's injury was really bad. So just keep that in mind. It's It's not as bad as it looks, right? Don't look behind the curtain. It's not as bad as it looks. And just the the tweets that came out from reporters, and I know this is just how the reporting game works. That's why we're not in the news business. The, <laughs> the lines they put out of like, oh, it's a tough injury and it's going to be painful, but he's going to play through it. And it's like that's so that, that's what his agent is saying. It's hedging. It's hedging. Yes. That's what it is. It's hedging by the team. It's hedging by the player. Now Russ probably didn't have anything to do with that tweet coming out. The team oh, probably agent said, did. yeah, the team and the agent yeah. said, we need to do some damage control. This will help, right? And that's that's what it is. It came out. I, I'm not happy that he has to play through an injury. I'm not happy he's playing like this. I We wanted to see the Broncos at full throat, right? We wanted to see them at 100% and firing with all those weapons because we thought that was going to be damn cool. And so far, kind of the opposite. But you know what? you know what a strained lat doesn't do? It doesn't make you misread man coverage on the goal line and completely miss KJ Hamler wide open on the rub. Like having an injured shoulder doesn't make you completely fuck up a read like that. All right, we should move on to greener pastures because there's a lot of them and there's some good stuff that happened in the NFL this week, despite the way we've sounded for the first yeah. third of the podcast. Uh, we will get to three up. Just a reminder, uh, stop by the live stream this Thursday for a game that 
it can't possibly be any worse uh, between the Commanders and the Bears. We're going to be doing another slip, which traditionally I, I'll at least hit four out of five if you want to tail it and make some money. Uh, you can use promo code bootleg over at our, uh, our partners over at Prize Picks. They'll match your deposit up to $100. So if you want to come by and drink with us and watch a terrible football game and, and hopefully get paid to do it, stop on by this Thursday, half hour before kickoff. We'll get you going through that. Uh, but uh, like EJ said, let's get to three up. up number one uh ej the jets and all of their young talent actually look pretty good and you know we kind of expected this to eventually happen because we've loved all their draft classes for the last you know three years or whatever however long joe douglas has been there but we're finally starting to see it pay off a little bit and i don't want to use the excuse of oh the dolphins are banged up and they're down to skylar thompson at quarterback like not nah, even if tua was in I still think the Jets would have won this game because of all of their young dynamic pieces and how many great plays they were making. Sauce Gardner looks phenomenal. Um, His interception, in particular, his footwork on his interception was just crazy. Like, guys his size should not be able to transition that quickly and get downhill that quickly. Uh, He's he's just a special talent. Brees Hall had his finally his big breakout game, 197 total yards. Should have had another goal line touchdown. He did score, but he should have had another one, but he got dragged down at the one. So Michael Carter uh, vultured him, which is personally great for my fantasy team. But, hey, I, I'm sure Brees Hall owners are, are pretty upset. And uh, the Jets' defensive line and a lot of the talent they've accumulated there, Quinnen Williams has been an absolute force. John Franklin Myers has been incredible. Carl Lawson coming off you know, his devastating injury, or his like third devastating injury of his career, still a bull in a china shop. Um, they just all were phenomenal. Uh, they had uh, 24 pressures, or at least got pressure on 24 different dropbacks. They had 13 quarterback hits. Lawson had seven of those quarterback hits. Just every single phase of the game, all of the talent they've accumulated, finally making plays. And this is the structure, and this is the final result that Joe Douglas wanted, which is you give me enough swings, I'll get the stars, and then... Zach Wilson doesn't have to do everything and the rest of the team can kind of help him out. One quick thing, and then we'll get right back to the show. A lot of you guys listening, just like us, are longtime Manscaped users. There's 6 million men in this country that use Manscaped, and a lot of which watch this show. And because the Venn diagram of our audiences is basically a circle at this point, Manscaped wants you all to know that they've released the 4.0 version of the Perfect Package. I've used them since all the way back at 1.0 when they weren't even sold in stores yet, so I personally know how far they've come. And inside the new and improved Perfect Package, you've still got the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which of course has ceramic blades, skin safe technology to kind of reduce nicks and cuts, a 7,000 RPM motor, an LED spotlight, and it's waterproof. There's also the weed whacker for ear and nose hair trimming, and it also comes with the crop preserver ball deodorant and crop reviver, plus there's manscaped boxers and a travel bag as free gifts included in the package. If you want to try out the perfect package for yourself to cover all of your different grooming needs, you can get a 20% off discount plus free shipping with code bootleg at manscaped.com. Again, that is 20% off plus free shipping with promo code bootleg at manscaped.com. Thank you to Manscaped for partnering with us once again. And with that, let's get back to the show. This was the week. Jets fans, this was the week. We've been talking about this for honestly two and a half years. And I'm Mm -hmm. actually going to 
link this back to the Bears, but we'll do that at the end. What, EJ linking something to the Bears? Never. It's weird, right? <laughs> so strange. By the way, that completes your parlay at home, so you can go collect your winnings. Uh, look, this is the team that Douglas has been assembling for the last two and a half years, right? This is the team. This is what they thought. This is their blueprint. Now, two weeks ago, on this very podcast, we said, Sal's got to get it done. You know, and he's a guy that we think and have thought can get it done, but he's got to get it done. Like, this is crunch time. He has all the players now. We said this in our preseason look at the Jets. They've got everything they need. If it doesn't work, there's going to have to be some soul searching about why, because this is well enough to win, even in a very tough division. Mm -hmm. But you got to do it. There's always pressure in the NFL, always, every week, every game. They're hard to win. But when you're the Jets and you have made the transition and you have brought in all the pieces and they're all here now, like you've had multiple draft halls that we really like. Offense looks good. Defense looks good. Your quarterback, your star quarterback is now back and healthy. Like at some point, and Sal even said this to his team last week, he put even more pressure on him. He said like the good enough and the competing, it's not good enough. We're going to beat some teams. We have to beat some teams. And quite frankly, you got to beat the good teams in your division. At some point, that bill comes due. And if they hadn't, there would have been some serious questions. They did in, like, round fashion. Like, they put up a lot of points, over 40. Their defense was ridiculous. Lawson, a sack, a forced fumble, seven hits. Gardner, I... Look, everybody knows I'm a sauce stan. He was my CB1. I said he was that guy. I said he was going to be like Darrell Revis before the Jets drafted him. He had a 34.2 passer rating in coverage in Week 5. That's less than if the quarterback threw an incompletion on every target. <laughs> so it's worse to throw at him than to just throw it at the ground. Right? This is He is that guy. This is it. This is what Jets fans have been waiting for, and they did it. They delivered. Now, you can have all that talent, you can have the coaching, you can have the investment from ownership and the GM that knows what the hell he's doing. If you don't beat the tough teams in your division, none of that shit matters. Mm -hmm. And for once, the Jets laid it down, and they laid the Dolphins down. I'm with you. Even if Tua was in this game, it it would have been closer, for sure. Skylar Thompson, good player, but, you know, rookie player making his first start. Tua would have made it closer. I still think the Jets win the game because they were all over the place on both sides of the ball. At minimum, they are absolutely in the driver's seat uh, for like a six or a seven seed type run here. Um, they just need to keep rattling off in-conference wins. Zach Wilson needs to keep playing well. The run game needs to keep doing what it's doing. Just the fact that they're even in this position when they're on like OT6 it's it's just unbelievable and uh you know resounding golf claps for the Jets staff for for getting them through everything they've been through and still being in this spot I already consider this season to be uh to be a successful one because they shouldn't be in this position and you know they get Dwayne Brown and he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna be that veteran tackle out of the out of left field that comes in and you know he played this week for the first time for them he's gonna settle in hopefully stay healthy like that that's a huge boost for them but it wasn't just one thing it wasn't like oh Dwayne Brown came in and they ran the ball well and so now maybe they have a chance like Zach Wilson needed to stay in the pocket and play well within the offense which he did last week it, again all the pieces coming together the defense needs to get pass rush and cover they did both you know uh, 
Rajveer Tucker has moved positions, played really well, you know, quote unquote, out of position. Like it's all the things. And it seemed like for a long time, look, the Jets were just kind of snake bitten. They all the things would happen the wrong way. Right. Wilson's injury and people not playing up to potential and, and just bad breaks. And you never really got to see it go. Right. And on Sunday, it felt like really the, the scale tipped and all the things went. The offense went. The defense went. Robert Sala was fired up. He hasn't lost this team by any stretch, but these are the types of games that when you say the week before, like, hey, we can't just keep up. We got to beat people. And then you don't, like, the whispers start from the corners of the locker room, like, man, he's been saying that for, like, two years, and we've never done it, as opposed to we stomped folks that people are really excited about in our division we did it resoundingly we got to do it at home which was really cool um and everything worked that is infectious like that makes a team go and so you can say it all you want but you gotta do it and the jets like did it and did it over the top and that i'm just really happy for them because they are if you want to talk about long suffering jets fans fit the description one more note on this game Uh, i don't want to drag on too long in the jets Um, because we have sung their praises a lot. I want this to be an example for other fan bases to realize that sometimes things just take time, like multiple years. Like when we say multi-year rebuild, how many times have we seen a franchise say, oh, it's going to be a multi-year rebuild, and then we don't actually give them multiple years to do it. This is what happens when you actually let that multi-year rebuild happen. Huh. Weird that. Therein lies the Bears tie-in. Everybody knew that Ryan Poles was coming into a situation that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy had screwed up in a big way. It's not unlike the situation that Joe Shane and Brian Dable came into with the Giants. Like, things are bad, right? We have multiple things. We're not going to fix them all. If people had... And people did. Look, it's the New York market. If people had said the same thing about Joe Douglas and said, ah, he hasn't fixed it in six months, sweep him out of here. He hasn't fixed it in one year. It's been a year and a half. Get him gone. You wouldn't have gotten to see Sunday. Period. End of story. So, folks in Chicago, uh, other folks in New York City who root for the Giants, not for the Jets. This is what has to happen. When your team is far enough down, you need multiple swings multiple bites at the apple whatever it is one draft one free agency period one season is not gonna do it you're you're farther down the ladder than that so you put some pieces in place which joe douglas did in the first year the next year you put more pieces in place you have to see some improvement but even if they'd only given him two years you still wouldn't have gotten to see sunday and seeing sunday is the goal because seeing sunday looks repeatable for the Jets it was mm-hmm. not a fluke <laughs> like they put their foot on the neck of the Dolphins and said ours thanks bye go home with an L that's what you want to be able to do in the NFL but it doesn't it's not going to happen for teams that are that far down in six months or a year or sometimes even a year and a half and patience is an extremely limited commodity I get that but that's what it takes so look at the Jets model and say this is what's possible need to give my team coach front office staff a little bit of breathing room as long as they continue like joe douglas did to stack drafts to make smart decisions in free agency and and set that team up it's not guaranteed that they'll take off from there but there isn't even going to be a fuse to light if you don't give them that time 
Yeah, and I think it's a, a very different situation than, say, the Panthers, who I think hired, you know, <laughs> rule around the same time. But yeah. they also weren't handling the rebuild the same way the Jets were. They weren't stacking, um, or not even that. It, it, like, they took a corner in the top 10 when they were a quarterback needy team. The other thing is, Salah is not Matt Rule. Like, Robert Sala, we had a lot of faith in as a as a leader, as a guy to hold the course, as a guy to bring modern, relatable NFL concepts that can win. Rule, mm, <laughs> we hoped, but not the same thing. And he ends up out in Carolina. The Jets, on the other hand, are looking to, you know, build on a strong Sunday and build towards the end of the year, compete for a playoff spot, which is exactly what you want your team to be able to do. And if they do that because of the foundation and because of the way they built, because of the decisions they've made in free agency, it looks sustainable. It looks like they can keep that role going as long as they keep Zach Wilson healthy. And, you know, you can say that for any team, but they've done it the right way. That looks like it could lead to sort of the ultimate Holy grail in the Jets organization, which is sustained success. Uh, all right, keeping it with the other New York team that we mentioned a little bit. Three up, number two, the Giants taking down the Packers in London. And I, I will say this game kind of started out like you would expect a Giants-Packers game to go. Um, you know, they, they couldn't get out of their way. Like, they were dropping screens. They were killing their own drives. You know, Rodgers was very efficient, moving the ball. Not necessarily getting chunk plays, but, um, you know, seeing the field like only Rodgers does and throwing these little flare screens that get easy first downs for them at will. And, you know, the the running game is doing well. And they, and they put up like three scoring drives in a row. And, and it started to look like, a, okay, this game's going to be like 35 to 17, kind of how we expected it to go. And then Big Blue came alive. And you started to see uh, Brian Dable dip into the bag of tricks a little bit. Um, you know, Saquon, they, they ripped off a huge gain on a pin and pull uh, with Saquon at the wildcat position to kind of get him going. Um, pass protection improved wildly, even just during the course of this game. Like, you know, Rashawn Gary and all them kind of got them a couple times early. And then all of a sudden, the offensive line started playing extremely well. Andrew Thomas is playing like a man possessed this year. He looks like an elite left tackle. Um, and they just – they. They really kept Daniel Jones upright. And when Daniel Jones is upright and not having people breathe down his neck, he's actually a pretty capable quarterback. Not like amazing, but definitely capable. And this Giants offensive line only allowed nine pressures all game after allowing a couple early, which by their standards is like positively amazing, especially compared to a couple weeks ago, uh, week three, where, you know, they allowed like 35, you know, so... This was a, a phenomenal performance by the Giants' offensive line. Um, the play-action game was really effective. The quick passing game was really effective. Daniel uh, was just able to stay in rhythm and not constantly having to run for his life. He was able to distribute the ball, and they just kept putting up points. And then whenever they needed a big play, it was Saquon and Wildcat or you know down in the red zone, like, hey, we need to, we need to get a lead here. Saquon, again, Wildcat, get us those points. Or driving down late we need a big chunk okay we're gonna put Saquon out as a wide receiver and get him on the move on like a clear out where he's run the shallow underneath and then he just has to go put a move on somebody and get a big chunk he did that as well so I just think that this was a phenomenal phenomenally well coached game by Brian Dable to get chunks with his best player when he needed chunks 
kept his quarterback upright, no turnovers, 55% third down conversions. If you're doing all of that, you're going to win, even against a team like the Packers and even against a, a guy like Aaron Rodgers. You're going to win if you do that. And I think if they can sustain that formula, this is going to be a much tougher out than people think. I love the flexibility and the resilience. So the flexibility part is really important. This is Brian Dable and Mike Kafka being objective about what they have in Daniel Jones. And I saw people say yesterday, oh, you know, Brian Dable runs, you know, Daniel Jones like he doesn't care about him. And I'm like, no, he cares about winning. And I think he probably knows that Daniel Jones, as he is, as a passer, is not probably the long-term future of the Giants. He's not worried about the long-term future of the Giants right now. He and Mike Kafka are whipping up a plan saying, what do we have? We have an all-world running back who's finally healthy again. We should use him a lot. Like, we shouldn't go away from him and have those games where he has, like, six touches. That's on us. We need to make sure he's involved. That's sort of NFL 101. The NFL 201 is... What do we have at the quarterback position? Should we be asking Daniel Jones to do something that he clearly can't after multiple seasons? A, we need to jack up the protection because we know if our quarterback doesn't get protected, he's among the worst in the league. So we can't have that. Like, offensive line, that's on you. you got to make a clamshell around this guy, and then we're going to tell him to do one of two things, which is take a couple of, you know, one, two reads, distribute the ball as he can, brilliantly when he's got the space he's always been that guy or take off right and they are this is this entire offense is built around boot right this is honestly this looks a lot like the plan that Matt Nagy had in year one for Trubisky which was I'm gonna move him and I'm gonna ask him to do one or two reads and then if not I'm gonna ask him to use his athleticism and he has like turned the dial on Daniel Jones' athleticism. We saw Daniel Jones even last year have like an 80-yard run down the middle of the field. He's a very good athlete. He's a big guy. And they're saying, get out on the edge, and if it's not there, take off and run because you can pick up six or seven, and that's going to put us in positive. You know, It's going to keep the chains moving. We're going to stay ahead of the sticks, and we can win from there because we can dial up some Wildcat for Saquon. We can throw him short swing passes and have him go get stuff. Darius Slayton, who's been like completely off the radar comes in six catches 79 yards every time he turned around he had a chain moving catch that's 13 2 that's not like an mm-hmm. exceptional down the field thing but you don't want daniel jones standing in for five seconds trying to launch 45 yard bombs to slate you're like no he won't we- live through that <laughs> right you're like what do we have and that's what i love about dable and kafka is they've got this team and they're very honest about what they have and what they don't have and they're, they're just maximizing it. They're pushing all the sliders to 10 in the categories they have. And all the categories that other coaches have tried to say, well, you should get better at, they're just dialing those back to two or three. They're limiting their liabilities. They're pushing their strengths. And the players are buying it. Like, this Giants team would have folded in years past. Aaron Rodgers goes up by a couple of scores. Could have been 10 points. This Giants team would have folded in years past. This Giants team... Still knowing they're outgunned at the quarterback position was like, nah, uh-uh, we're not giving you anything. We're going to keep coming at you. We're going to make it hard for you. That frustrates players like Rodgers, like Tom Brady. We got to see them both be frustrated on Sunday by opponents that were like, uh-uh, we're going to keep coming. We're going to give you a game. Rodgers was clearly frustrated at the end of the game, dejected even. And that's a measure of how much these players 
we saw it in the first couple of weeks, how much they're buying into Dable, how much they're celebrating with him on the sideline when something goes their way that they didn't believe could go their way or is just sort of against the NFL script. And Dable's like, I don't care. This is what I've got. Well, Dable and Kaka both are like, this is what I've got. This is how I'm going to use it. And watch, it's going to work. And it's working. And they're buying in. And they're getting what I would call unlikely wins, but they're earning them. I also want to talk about the the coaching that Wink Martindale did at the end of the game. And, and there was much talk about the uh, the third and two and fourth and two with the game on the line and the, okay, why aren't you running the ball and, and you're throwing fades, which to be fair, even I was like, I don't know. I don't know about throwing a fade when you're plus two off the edge. Like it's a lot of hands to throw to, but the aspect that I, I couldn't really talk about that on Twitter because Twitter, you can't tweet because <laughs> there's no really nuance on Twitter. There's no nuance on Twitter. Yeah. If you go back and watch those two plays, giants were in zero. So for the, why aren't they running the ball crowd? You have AJ Dillon on third and two. They called zero, which is we are going to bring more bodies than you can block mathematically. They called zero so that you couldn't run the ball. Like they wanted to take that option completely off the table, which is you cannot block all of us. Don't run the ball. And so they forced the Packers into their Rolodex of here's all our passing play answers for zero in short yardage. And they just trusted their DBs to know, like, hey, they're not running. They're throwing. You got to be ready for this. And everybody who's actually rushing in the defensive front, they're not running. They're throwing. Get your fucking hands up because you know what they're going to be doing whenever they see this look in the red zone, which is throwing and throwing quickly. So don't even try to get the sack. Just put pressure on the offensive line and then jump, extend your hands, and just you know, make it so he has to throw through a forest. And they did that twice in a row. They knew they weren't going to get home. They just had to dictate the play call by saying, you can't run, we're in zero. And then understand that all they have to do is just get their hands up. Did it twice in a row. It worked. They walked out with the W. I thought it was phenomenal coaching by Wink to not let the situation be dictated to him and instead be the one dictating, which is his philosophy in general. He's always a blitz happy guy, but that's why some defensive coordinators like to be blitz happy is they're like, I'm not going to let you tell me what I'm doing. I'm going to tell you what you're doing. And uh, at least, at least this week it worked. Yeah. There's one other thing I want to bring up in this game and it is a, it is a dirty little side note and it is not happy. And I'm going to call for it to be stamped out with fire. Like, kill it dead right now. So this game was played in London, strangely enough, and something bad rubbed off on the NFL in London. What's that? I saw my first dive in the NFL in this game, and I mean absolute dive. Robert Tunyon goes down the sideline. He's hand-fighting with the corner. Oh, where he, like, goes over the top and grabs. (laughs) No, he just let his legs go. There is a great end zone corner angle and Tanyan is looking this is completely calculated by Tanyan he sees where the he sees where the official is he sees where the defender is and he goes guess what I'm gonna do I'm gonna dive I'm gonna flop and it's not because he got tripped it's not even that he tripped on his own feet he literally just stopped running his legs and fell down and Jason McCourty says Tanyan channeling his soccer flop on that PI call and that's exactly what it was And that particular move has made international football, soccer, damn near unwatchable. 
because it happens regularly because it is rewarded with calls and it gets teams advantages. And it has gutted the competitiveness at the highest levels of that sport because they have allowed it to. It has not been present in the NFL. There have been, look, there have been bad PI calls, non-call PI calls, all that stuff. I have never seen a guy just flat, like, stop running his lower body and go, uh, happens in basketball, happens in soccer, cannot be allowed to happen in the NFL. And do not let this into the NFL. It will gut the games. And if you think you hate the roughing the passer stuff, you are going to hate, and I mean with a burning hellfire passion, guys flopping on routes because they get rewarded for it. The P.I. call, defensive P.I. call in the NFL is already OP, and I don't mean offensive pass interference. I mean overpowered. Like, you can get the whole field in one call. It's not like college. You're not getting 15 yards. And if you allow guys to get that with a flop, it changes the game fundamentally. This one thing, guys just going, uh, changes the game. It changed international soccer, and it was because guys got rewarded for it. You cannot reward guys for doing this, period. Like, it is a fundamental change, and it will change the sport that we both love to be more unwatchable and that is gonna hurt more than you think it is so whatever you need to do to stamp this one out early and say you will not be rewarded for just giving up your legs and saying oh it was too hard to keep running like don't do it keep that competitive aspect uh well speaking of completely unwatchable uh the detroit lions let's get to three up number three the Detroit Lions got absolutely spanked by the New England Patriots, and the Patriots in particular are the up part of this three-up. Uh, this was the most complete game, I would say, the Pats have played in a long time. Like a long, like maybe in the last two seasons entirely, maybe even since Brady left. I think this is the most complete game the Patriots have played, which I know pissed off Lions fans because they... <laughs> wanted nothing more than to rub Matt Patricia's nose in it, and they didn't get to do that. So this is like a war crime for them to to lose 29 nothing to Matt Patricia. But, I mean, credit where credit is due, the team looked great. The offense was functional. Matt Patricia actually called a pretty good game. Uh, he leaned on Ramondre Stevenson to do Ramondre Stevenson things, and I think that it's become clear that he is the best back in that backfield, the most complete back in that backfield, and – I really want him to continue out touching everybody else because he can do that kind of stuff. Like his tackle breaking ability is just, it's one of the best in the league. If you look at uh, like missed tackles forced per carry, like he is one of the best in the league at that. Um, but not only that, they got contributions from a couple other young guys like Bailey Zappi, you know, QB three on the depth chart, QB one in your hearts. He played really well. He was efficient. He took care of the ball. Um, you know, made some some good plays in the red zone on the defensive side of the things. Jack Jones, in particular, who was, uh, believe it or not, the first corner, actually, no, the first prospect overall that I watched in the draft cycle last year was Jack Jones because I, I talked to Eric and I, um, who runs the Shrine Bowl, Eric Galco, and this was, you know, well before the Shrine Bowl. And I was like, who's your best position groups there? I need to start working on guys. And I want to hit the Shrine, the shrine guys first because that's that's going to be who I see first. And he's like, definitely DB. 
uh, Jack Jones is is probably the best one here you're going to want to look at. So Jack Jones is the first guy I watched, and I remember putting out a tweet of like, shit, this kid's talented. And then I, I got through a couple other DBs, and um, I was like, man, this yeah, – Eric was right. The DB group at Shrine is actually pretty damn good. And, um, you know, so I had an affinity for Jack throughout the process because I thought he had really good feet um, in terms of, like, cover technique in general, whether he was in off or in press – I thought he was very, very technically refined. So I'm a big fan of Jack Jones, and I'm happy to see him succeeding. Really talented kid. I think the Patriots definitely definitely got something there. This is a classic Belichick game. This is the Lions on a tear. We had Lions in three up the last week we did the pod a couple weeks ago, averaging 35-plus. Defense has been playing okay, not great, but you know have had their moments, but the offense has been on an absolute tear. Again, another team buying into a coaching staff that had a year to get their systems in place, get more of their players in place with a second draft. And, and Dan Campbell is leading the Lions in a way that Lions fans are not used to that team being led and are they're really happy about it. And they come in. The Patriots have been stumbling. They're down to a backup rookie quarterback making his first start, who is a late-round pick. Lions were just licking their chops at this one. Classic <laughs> Belichick trap game comes in not only do they just beat the tar out of the lions they shut them out Mm -hmm. like here's a team averaging 35 a game they shut them out again you said a complete game the offense looked great Ramondre stevenson i was super happy to see he's just got such great feet everybody looks at him and he's big and he's quick and people think oh he's a battering ram he's not he's a dancer and I don't mean a dancer like dances away from the hole. Dancing is typically a bad term. Uh, it's weird. It's a good term for tackles, but a bad term for running backs. <laughs> he is a he is a dancer. He's got great feet. His feet and his footwork are so exceptional for a guy his size. And you got to see it over and over again on Sunday. Um, defense came out. Matt Judon is a guy whose name we haven't mentioned a lot this year. We should. He's playing great. Jack came out. Jack I was worried about because his tape was good, but A, he was really quiet. I wasn't sure about his investment. Turns out he's just a shy guy, and he's tiny. <laughs> he's literally like he's, sat he's next light. to this he's guy. He's very light. He's yeah. really small. Uh, and so I was like, I don't know. His tape looks good, but is he going to hold up? Guess what? Jack Jones is going to hold up. I'll just take the L publicly and say I underrated certain things. He has proved in the NFL not just on Sunday. He played well in camp. There's a lot of buzz about him in camp. He's played well. Even in the weeks leading up to this, Sunday was a sort of breakout, hey, get to know Jack Jones's name game for him. Couldn't be happier to see it. Nice dude. Um, this is just, it's so Belichick it hurts, right? Not to mention the Patricia aspect and revenge, which Belichick and his let's call it recycling coaching tree that comes back to to Foxborough loves to get it was it was a really good game if you're a Patriots fan it was a really rough game to swallow if you're a Lions fan but this is just so Belichick you mentioned Judon by the way he is tied for ninth in the NFL in pressures right now so he is having uh which I mean he's had a lot of great years in his career by his standards this might be the best year so far of his career he's playing his ass off also, one more note of the Patriots defense before we move on to three down. Um, we actually had some history made in this game because the Lions were obscenely aggressive and went for six 
fourth downs. Like even when the game was close, it was like six nothing early on. There was a fourth and nine uh, from the thirty-two or thirty-three yard line. They still went for it, and then of course uh, Goff got strip sacked and Duggar ran it back, and it, it could have been six to three, and they ended up making it thirteen nothing. Um, so they were. <laughs> They were absolutely ridiculously aggressive to the point where even I was was like, okay, guys, you, you can you can kick every now and then and be yeah. okay. Um, but this was the first time in NFL history a defense has held a team to 0 of 6 on fourth down. That has never happened before. Um, the last team, ironically, to be 0 of 5 on fourth down was the Patriots like three decades ago. Uh, obviously... That would never happen in the Tom Brady era. But uh, the Lions tied them and they decided, you know what? We're going to go for the record. We're going to go for 0 of 6. And uh, and they hit it. They hit 0 of 6 in the very last minute of the game. So uh, just an incredible defensive performance by the Patriots. Uh, complete game from start to finish. And for the first time in a while, I think Pats fans have a, have a little something to be happy about. But uh, with that being said, why don't we get to more doom and gloom, our, our favorite thing about this show. And we're going to get to three down. All right. Three down, number one. And, uh, I mean, there's doom and gloom, actually. But th- this might even be worse. Jerome Boger. A scourge upon our houses, EJ. Uh, this this crew, in general, whether it was last year or this year, which only three out of the three out of the seven of Jerome Boger's refereeing crew are actually retained from last year, but the problems have still been persisting because of who's actually leading the crew. Um, This is the second week in a row that Boger's crew has arguably ruined a football game with a questionable at best and horrible at worst roughing the passer call. This week they got Grady Jarrett. And they said that, uh, oh, he threw down Tom Brady in a forceful manner. To which I say, isn't that the fucking point of the position? Is to get Tom Brady on the ground in a forceful manner? So they they called him for rough in the passer, which kept Tampa on the field. And then they closed out the game. That wasn't even the first time that they kept Tampa on the field on third down. They also had a ticky-tack at best holding call on A.J. Terrell when he was still inside of five yards from the line of scrimmage, and it wasn't even really a hold. He bumped him. No. And people were saying, oh, yeah. the, 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 the rough in the passer was a makeup call for the, for the missed pass interference, which, yeah, there was a missed pass interference. Okay, but that means that there's two calls that favored Tampa, and there's one call that favored Atlanta on – or lack of call that favored Atlanta on the entire series, and this was a game-deciding drive. There cannot be an imbalance on a game-deciding drive, and this is now the second week in a row they've done that. Going back to last year, people remember, Jerome Boger's crew was benched during the playoffs because they fucked up the Raiders and Bengals game with that inadvertent whistle fiasco. And then you can think back to past years as well, where Jerome Boger's crew has made monumental errors in critical spots in fourth quarters and inserted themselves into games that they should not have been inserted themselves into. This crew has been a problem regardless of who's been working under Boger. They've rotated people in and out of the crew. This crew has been a problem for the NFL for multiple years now. 
at what point do we cut bait? Because I'm sorry, like I I do not feel any sort of motivation to watch any game he is refereeing because I now go into the game assuming that he's going to fuck it up at some point. And so far I've been proven right on that. This is like the Santa Claus list, right? The naughty and nice where he drops the roll and it bounces down and goes down the stairs and out the door because Jerome Boger's crew's mistakes were highlighted to a point where the NFL was forced to act, right? He was bad enough. And under bright enough lights, they had to go, um, okay, like, people actually bet on these games. We can't do this anymore. Like, you know, many fortunes are determined by wins and losses in the NFL, and Jerome Boger's crew has negatively contributed to those fortunes for multiple years now. That should be enough. This is the second week in a row. The call on Grady Jarrett, yep. Tom Brady got on the ground, but Grady Jarrett actually rolled him across the top of himself. Mm -hmm. Like he used himself as a cushion because you can't drive a quarterback's head or shoulder into the ground. You can't do anything. I mean, quarterbacks are well protected and they should be. We all want to see good quarterback play in the NFL. Nobody wants to go into those week 15, 16, 17 games anymore with like ex backup number three and udfa signed off the street six weeks ago that's just not a key matchup the nfl knows it so they go to great lengths to protect quarterbacks grady jarrett went to great lengths to protect tom brady grabbed him around the waist didn't hit him spun him bounced him off the top of himself and folded him over yeah. like that forcefully sure grady jarrett weighs over 300 pounds it's going to be forceful but it was about as unforceful as it gets my least favorite thing that nobody's going to talk about because everybody should be focusing on boger and the hit itself is as grady jarrett went to stand up tom brady tried to kick him i saw that too uh-huh yeah. so tom brady sets the record for a hundred thousand yards which is amazing and is petulant while doing it because he gets up and immediately starts begging for a call which he gets because he's tom brady i get it like michael jordan got his calls tom brady's gonna get his that's the thing was it a bad call? Yep. It was a bad call. Did it affect the game? Yep, it did. Was it the first time that Jerome Boger was involved in even recent memory? No, not even the first time in the last couple of weeks. Uh, forget years or seasons. Not a good thing. I don't know what the NFL is going to do about it. My guess is nothing because that's what they typically do about it until forced, like last year during the playoffs where they were like, uh-oh, we could actually determine the Super Bowl winner with a Jerome Boger call. Yeah. Ooh, not cool. Let's not make that happen. But that was pretty forceful. The calls were all over the place and really loud. This is going to be less so. I don't think they'll do anything, and that's to the detriment of the league. Yeah, because the last thing the league wants is for, especially in the playoffs, for like another you know Rams Saints situation where there's like a, an actual crazy missed call that yeah. literally determines who goes to the Super Bowl. Like it's it's an impossible situation for the league. I'm not blaming the league because they have done action with Boger's crew in the past, but like, is there nobody else? Is there Apparently nobody not. else you can hire? Like, cause this is, this has been years now of this problem and there's nobody else you can hire. Really? Yeah. This is where conspiracy theory starts to be a little bit more realistic. You're like, wow. He's screwed up how many times in how many high-profile games? And they haven't fired him? Why exactly it's like, it's is like, that? Uh, who's, who's that ump in 
Yeah, Angel, nope. Angel Hernandez. That's the one. That's the yeah. one that I keep thinking of in this situation for baseball fans. Angel Hernandez was just like lambasted every week for years. It seemed like like oh, guess who called a strike? You know, over somebody's shoulder, <laughs> um, and everybody knew. Like it was a, it wasn't a running joke. It was a running truth. Um, yeah. And Boger's getting to that level if he's not already there. And we'll see if the NFL does anything. I, I, for the sake of the game, hope they do because I'm with you. I'm like, come on, there's how many thousands of officials in this country that work high-profile games, and you can't find one to elevate? Like, We'll get back to the show in just a second, but really quick, the job market right now is crazy, and there is a lot of competition out there to try to hire the best candidates possible for your business. If you yourself are also a small business owner like we are, and you need to hire on some extra help to get you through the holiday rush that is already upon us, LinkedIn Jobs will help you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster than ever before. Every single week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn, so if you're hiring, that is the place you want to be. You can create job postings in just a couple of minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach not just your network, but the entire LinkedIn network of over 800 million people. And you can even use tools like screening questions to try to narrow down and filter your search as much as possible. So if you've been trying to hire someone lately and you checked all the boxes you knew you were supposed to check with good benefits and good pay and work-life balance and everything like that, and you're still just not getting any bites for whatever reason, try posting that same job for free at linkedin.com bootleg and see what they can do for you. Again, that is linkedin.com bootleg to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you again to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. Uh, all right, three down number two. A tale of two Matts, Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford, both formerly great players that, at least so far, well, now, I, I shouldn't say formerly great, could still be great, maybe, potentially, uh, but so far this year have been ridiculously bad. Matt Ryan, in particular, has been historically bad. He is leading in interception. Well, technically, he's tied with Matt Stafford for leading in interceptions with seven. He has five touchdowns, seven picks, which is terrible. Uh, leading in fumbles with 11, which it's been five weeks, and you're at 11 fumbles, and also leading in sacks taken so far at 21, which, again, that's over four sacks a game. It's been a mess, just a complete mess from top to bottom. And as frustrated as we are with the Broncos offense, at least there's some things that we think are correctable, like Jerry Judy learning to catch the ball properly. Um, and I just I don't see correctable things here with this Colts offense with the way that Matt Ryan has been playing. He has legitimately been the worst starting quarterback in the league so far this year. And this is the same team that just left Carson Wentz. And Matt Ryan's been even worse. It's it's almost a hopeless situation. It's bad. It's really bad. If you're a Colts fan, it's terrible, and it looks like deja vu. We brought in ex-veteran quarterback that was supposed to be savior. They're not. They're bad. We're probably going to move on from them as quickly as we can. That that's a terrible record to be replaying as a as a Colts fan. We. Didn't believe this was going to happen. For us, there's this huge fall of expectation. Not only were we expecting Matt Ryan to be average, we thought he could be great in this situation. We mm -hmm. said so in our offseason preview. We thought he still had a lot left in the tank. He's gone from a lot left in the tank to he looks cooked. Mm -hmm. Like, 
because it's not just one thing. We've seen other quarterbacks drop off um, at certain points in their career with certain pieces, but they could still do other things, right? The deep ball goes typically, especially late in the season. The arm starts to fall off. We saw it with Phillip Rivers. We see it with every great quarterback. At some point, they hit the wall and they can't throw the deep ball anymore, but they still have timing. They still have anticipation. Peyton Manning did the same thing. He knew what was happening pre-snap so he could get the ball out quick enough. And even if it was a shot put, it still got there on the right arc, right? So they compensate, right? But this isn't one thing. This is pocket presence. This is ball security. This is decision-making. This is like all things going from what were still really good levels last year, even with the Falcons, to, like you said, bottom of the league levels. And everybody's been concentrating on Matt Ryan because he moved this year. But the other Matt, Matt Stafford, moved last year, obviously had a very successful season, won the freaking Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So there's some grace there. But we have known for a long time that Matt Stafford physically is a guy that has played really banged up. I talk about it all the time. He played with broken bones in his back. He's played with his elbow. They did, you know, a lot in camp this year to limit reps. Right. And they said it was the same thing they were doing last year again to take care of his elbow, to take care of his shoulder. And we all kind of went, oh, okay, well, it worked last year and he won the Super Bowl. So cool, right? And the answer is not cool, right? Because <laughs> we just talked about how bad Matt Ryan has been and it is worst in the league. Matt Stafford also has five touchdowns, just like Matt Ryan, seven interceptions, just like Matt Ryan. And has taken 21 sacks, just like Matt Ryan. So this is the Spider-Man meme, quite literally, the two Matts pointing at each other and going, ooh, Sean McVay came out yesterday and said, the offense needs to do more to support Matt, not the other way around. The Which tone felt was. like a very targeted, like, Allen Robinson, unfuck yourself. Like, that's uh, that's what that felt like to me. It did feel like that a little bit, and it is a very stark turn from just the year before where Matt is going to be here and elevate the offense to now the offense needs to protect and basically insulate Matt from, quite frankly, himself at this point. And offenses, we've talked about it even in this show, this very podcast, this one, offenses are multiple elements that need to work well together. It is a very weird alchemy of coaching and belief and enthusiasm and everybody executing. It is a hard thing to bottle and jar. Right now, the Rams, who have been an offensive juggernaut, Right. Look back at Cooper Cup season last year, one of the best seasons ever by a wide receiver ever. And now you've got a quarterback also named Matt, who is bouncing off the bottom of the league in some very important statistical categories. And the Rams are muddling along. They are struggling because of it. Not surprisingly, it's an offensively driven league. There's a thing here where we've been spoiled by guys like Drew Brees. Mm -hmm. Right. Drew Brees went well past what we would consider the normal expiration date on a quarterback and played at a very high level to the very end of his career. And it's happened two or three times. Brady's the other one. Right. Brady is still throwing the deep ball at 40 X years old. That's not logical, reasonable. I'm not even sure it's happening in the material plane. I still swear <laughs> it's a deal with the devil. Rogers right. the same way. Rogers still man. And Rogers is there friends. as well. Rogers is playing, you know, MVP football at a at a level 
at a place in his career, a number of years stacked in his career that we're not used to seeing. We've seen those three guys, Brady, Breeze, and Rodgers, and we're like, so it just happens when just about every other quarterback in the world falls off somewhere in their mid-30s, right? 34, 35, 36, you're starting to see, mm, for sure, but we've said, no, like, Rodgers, 40, Brady's 40, like, Breeze is 40, like, those are the exceptions, and we've taken them as the rule. So here are a couple of guys that played a lot of very good football. We said at the top of the segment, great players in their own right. Guys that have taken their teams to the Super Bowl have been MVPs, have like had top statistical years in, in all of the NFL. They've both taken a bunch of shots. They're both in their mid 30s right they're getting towards their late 30s and they're falling off is this the one this is always the is it the one it's like the running back discussion except now it's you know a few years later in your quarterback is this the plateau that you've fallen off of is this the slide that you're not going to recover from or is this a statistical hiccup that has to do with other factors and that's the that's the tea leave reading part of being a GM and a coach that I don't envy at all because it's really, how could, really difficult. we thought that Rogers hit that that wall years ago, which is when they drafted Jordan Love, and then yep. all of a sudden it was like, oh no, I'm fine again, I'm good, yep. I'm Aaron Rodgers. Like, you know, bounced. you never know when it's when the actual crash is until it already happened. That's right. How, it reminds me of the old joke, right? How far do you think we're going to make it when the airplane's faltering all the way to the scene of the crash? <laughs> um, but this is not the red flag. This is not the pull them, they're done, they're cooked. This is the yellow slash goring to orange flag of this could be it. This is when it has happened to a great many very successful quarterbacks. You need to be aware in kind of a different way that this this could be the one. Could they bounce back and have a Rodgers-like resurgence? Yes. Both of these guys have the talent to do that. Are they going to be able to? Don't we'll know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right. Three down, number three. Let's get to a young quarterback now that's struggling. Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, early on in the year, you know, first few weeks, Trevor Lawrence was making ridiculous throws and doing Trevor Lawrence things. And we're like, finally, this is what we wanted to see. The last couple weeks, uh, the turnovers have once again been an issue. Uh, going back to the Eagles game, he had a very Daniel Jones-ish type day in terms of ball security in the pocket. Forced a whole bunch of fumbles on him. It was, you know, there was a, a rough pick in the red zone again. It, it was it, it, what we thought at the time uncharacteristically sloppy. And the Jags, if, if those turnovers didn't happen, the Jags legitimately could have made a run at knocking off the Eagles, but they just couldn't overcome that many fumbles. So we go to the, the game against the Texans, and I expected the Jags to bounce back and have a much better, more efficient, hopefully less turnover-prone day. And we just didn't get that. You know, the the Jags outgained them significantly. More yardage, more yards per play, better on third down, a whole bunch of stats that statistically you're like, okay, they probably put up more points. No, they didn't, because they kept stalling out in the red zone, in particular uh, because of some mistakes that Trevor Lawrence was making. Had an absolutely egregious uh, pick in the end zone where he's rolling out on a on a naked boot and then just throws it to the hand corner, like never even sees him. 
just throws it directly to the hand corner. And I'm like, what are you even looking at? And that was inexcusable, which is the second week in a row he's had inexcusable plays like that. Um, there was another almost pick on a fourth down from the Houston 37 <laughs> where they're like, eh, it's kind of iffy field goal range. Uh, let's see if we can go for it on, on fourth and it's like fourth and two or something like that. And Houston showed a, a middle field close look, so they had a single high safety. Looked like, okay, maybe we're going to be cover three or maybe cover one. And then they backed out into cover two, and Trevor literally threw it to the hook defender, and it bounced off the hook defender's hands. But again, I was like, did you not see the safeties expand and the linebacker carry the middle seam and know that that means that this is cover two and that I shouldn't throw the bender straight to the hook? Like, were you just not seeing the field and seeing the shallow come wide open underneath that would have moved the chains and more on on fourth and short? I almost feel like he just is pre-snap in his head saying, this is the look I'm getting. This is where I'm throwing the ball, come hell or high water. And he keeps either getting picked or getting almost picked because of that. Not to mention the five drops that his receivers had, including two from Etienne. They had another red zone stall because of a drop and then a holding call and then another incompletion on third down that resulted in a field goal that should have been a touchdown if they could stop making mistakes. So it's not just Lawrence. like His his receivers are not helping him out, but Lawrence in particular is doing dumb things and making throws that no human should try to make. And uh, I... I think eventually he will get it fixed because he's very talented and he's very smart. But man, some of these growing pains that I thought we were over, uh, we are apparently not over at all yet. If you watch the highlights of this game or, or even the condensed version of this game, you would have thought the Jags won going away. Because between the 20s, they look pretty good. Mm-hmm. They looked real good. They look good on offense. They look great on defense, right? They hold the Texans to 13 points. That that should be winning football in the NFL these days. Like, if you can do that and they did it, you should be able to come up with a couple of touchdowns and win the game over the course of the entire game. When they got to the red zone, shit changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they were not able to get it done. And I want to put it on the whole scoring offense, not just Trevor. His Look, he's a quarterback. His mistakes, not good, not defensible. And they're going to be highlighted because he's the quarterback. When the quarterback wins, you know, team wins, quarterback gets too much credit. Team loses, quarter, quarterback gets too much blame. It's on the entire sort of scoring offense or red zone offense. And there have been other coaching and quarterback combinations that have struggled with this that can put up yardage between the 20s like gangbusters but when they get in the red zone which is a different beast compressed space things need to happen quicker they struggle they are not great red zone schemers or executors and i think it's too early to say that about the peterson you know trevor combination because we're just sort of starting to get our feet wet here in this, but it is an area to look at to say, all right, is this just a hiccup? Or is this a thing that they struggle when things compress and when things are wide open? Man, they look pretty good. You know, 286 passing yards, 136 rushing yards. Like, that's that's a fine game. And, and the way they move the ball, again, if they didn't have a couple of key turnovers, they would have put up 21 points and won this game going away really 
So it's all about that red zone offense, and it's looked pretty decent through the first month of the season. This week, it didn't look decent. It it really derailed the entire thing, and they couldn't overcome it. That's the tough part. They come away with a couple of field goals for the game. Like, you're not going to win hardly any games. Again, their defense did great. 13 points allowed. You'd figure that offense, 13 yeah. points allowed, Blow they out. win – they win easily, yeah. right? And instead, not only on a day when they struggled in the red zone, they just couldn't come up with it any other way. Their defense didn't score. The special teams didn't score. Like, they, they came away with six points. You come away with six points, you're just – you're not going to win anything. So it's it's not a good look. It's not something to ring alarm bells about yet, but you got to see improvement from certainly the young quarterback in decisions and the whole unit – him his supporting cast and the coaching staff in the red zone it's got to get more efficient they have to come away with points more often because they're getting there pretty easily they got to seal the deal all right ej uh let's get away from the depressing topics and uh get to something a little bit more fun in three fun okay uh three fun Number one, we got to talk about D'Amico Ryans. We've already brought him up a little bit in the show. You know, he's going to be one of the leading head coach candidates in the entire league. Absolutely deserved. Hopefully he gets put in a good situation. I kind of think that Colts would be very intriguing with him because I think the ownership structure there is a patient one that will give D'Amico the time that he deserves to build the program that I think he could build. Uh, so D'Amico to the Colts would, would break my Texans fan's heart, but in terms of what's best for him, that'd be awesome. Uh, but specifically in terms of his ability as a defensive coordinator, not just as a head coaching candidate, but as a defensive coordinator, he is one of the best in the league, hands down. That Niners defense, despite being banged up, by the way, like they have been especially in the defensive line. They have been down talent. Alshair was hurt. Bosa tweaked his groin. Um, you know, Armstead's been banged up. Um, uh, who's the kid they took from from South Carolina? The kid we saw at the Senior Bowl who's crazy gifted. Who has like a six-pack and he's 300 pounds. Oh, uh, Kinlaw. Javon Kinlaw. Javon Kinlaw. Javon Kinlaw's been hurt. So, like, they're down like three defensive linemen. And yet... This Niners defense throughout the entire season has only given up 52 points. They have scored 14 points by themselves. So net points allowed, if you look at that, like, you know, what are you giving up versus what are you scored? Net points allowed is 38 on the season, an average of 7.6 net points per game. That is stupid. That is an absolutely stupid stat in the modern NFL to have. I I am almost speechless with how good this defense has, has been, even despite their injuries. They are extremely well coached. They're extremely disciplined. Ryans is getting the best out of his guys. Like Mosley, you know, unfortunately he got hurt as well. Mosley's played his best football of his career. Um like the corners when I was at training camp, they were again even back to training camp. They were banged up when I was there at camp, but like Charvarius and everything in practice, like they they just look so fucking good on the back end. Not to mention Fred Warner is even by Fred Warner standards is having his best year so far. He's an absolute freak in nature. I'm just absolutely in awe 
that despite all the injuries, they are still playing like the best defense in the league. And if that is not a reflection on how good of a coach D'Amico Ryans is, I, I don't know what else is. This is where coaching comes in. This is it. And other teams, other fan bases, myself included, will make excuses for, oh, this guy's missing. Oh, this guy's hurt. He hasn't been available. Or this, you know, bad break or the weather or whatever else. Great coaching staffs, not just good ones, great coaching staffs are going to take the guys they have, whoever they are, and they're going to get the most out of them. And right now, D'Amico Ryans is getting the most out of everybody on that defense. Dre Greenlaw, who's a guy that I loved coming out in the draft, is a great person, has a great story. I thought he would be a contributor. He's playing at a high level next to Warner as a starter, right? The defensive line, they have invested a ton of talent there, and they are all playing at a really high level. Linebackers we just talked about. Secondary, you know. Talano Hufanga, guy that I really like coming out of USC but thought had limitations. He's playing better than I ever thought he could. He's playing at a level where people are actually starting to mention his name with Troy Palomalu, another USC safety. Like, that's how you know you have a great coaching staff. Is every guy at every level is having, like, his best season, playing his best ball. We didn't know he could do this well. The free agent edition. Charbarius Ward has been pretty much locked down. He has been beating guys up on the corner just like they wanted him to. He has looked like every bit the sort of lock and key addition that many people said he would be when he got there. That's because of D'Amico Ryans and his coaching staff doing a great job, like a historic job in what is a league that is completely tilted towards offense in terms of investment, in terms of calls, in terms of everything else. The league doesn't want to see nine to six football games. They want to see Mm -hmm. 45 to 38 football games. And D'Amico Ryans is like, eh, that's cool. (laughs) They ain't (laughs) getting to 38. (laughs) You can want what you want, but I'm not going to give it to you. My guys are not going to give it to you. We're going to make you work for every point. You're going to get six or seven on average per week. That is a ridiculously good coaching job. It is a reason that Ryans is going to get even more head coaching opportunities. He had one last season. He's on record as saying he's actually kind of glad he didn't get it. He wanted to have the experience to interview, but he also said, I kind of in the back of my head didn't want them to say yes so I had another year to get my affairs completely in order so I was really ready for the first one I took this is a great great coach we were excited when he was elevated to defensive coordinator we thought that he would do good things we've got receipts if you want to go back and dig through the podcast like we thought this was great we both loved him as a player we loved him as a coordinator we thought let's see if he can do you know as a, sorry, as a position coach, let's see if he can do that as a, as a coordinator. And some guys can't. Some guys are just better position coaches. Some guys are great coordinators but not great head coaches. There's a step up in responsibility every time. And he has stepped up every time and exceeded the mandate of whatever it is that he's doing. That's why I believe he's going to be a great head coach and very soon in the NFL. Uh, three fun number two. Let's talk about the Bills offense because, uh, <laughs> I mean, my God, I could have put them in three up, but this this was not a fair fight. Like, it was not a fair fight. You, you look at 
this passing game and how it's structured. This was a nightmare matchup for the Steelers defense. And, and I'll tell you why. We kind of alluded to it when we did the, the Steelers-Browns stream a few weeks ago uh, where I was talking about how predictable the Steelers defense was and how they just try to out-execute people. Like they do not – it's a no-frills defense. We are going to play cover three and cover one on first and third down. Um, in particular, cover one on third down is like it's like a 50 50- – five percent call or something like that um they play a lot of cover one and cover three at like a 67 to 70 percent clip on early downs they do what they're gonna do and then they will play cover two but it's mostly on second down because they like to play uh single high structures to drop a body down in the box get a good run stop on first down put you at like second and eight and then they're gonna play cover two so even though cover two has had a lot of success against the bills if they know you're going to call cover two and, and, and when and when and they know that you're going to show cover two before the snap, you're not going to run it like Miami where they're going to like show zero and then run Javon Holland three counties over to get back to his deep half on the other side of the field. Like Miami was able to have success with cover two because they didn't show they were going to be in cover two. The Steelers are like, we're the Steelers. We're going to out execute you. It doesn't matter that you don't know what we're in. We, we, we like our guys. We're going to go out there and match up. No, you're not matching up against the bills. Gabe Davis is better than you. Stefan Diggs is better than you. Khalil Shakir. He's a rookie, but he's probably better than you. Like you cannot match up with all those receivers and arguably the best super weapon in the entire NFL, which is Josh Allen, because it doesn't matter if you got Minka on Gabe hip to hip 60 yards down the field, he's going to throw a bomb and score from midfield or actually beyond midfield. He threw for over 300 yards in the first half because the Steelers have this attitude of, we don't need to deceive you. We have the talent and I'm sorry against a team like Buffalo no, you don't. So it was a horrible game plan that was reflective of all their other game plans. Like if you go back and watch that that Steelers Brown stream, we were literally calling out the defense before the play because their tendencies are that rigid where it's like, okay, three yard gain on first down. Here comes cover two. And then here comes cover two again and cover two again. And then they started working, you know, little pivot routes off David Njoku when he was matched up one-on-one and Browns marched down the field. Like, it's fucking easy. Like, I'm an idiot, and I knew what they were going to run. And you're going to do that against Josh Allen, who's a lot smarter than me? Like, I... Regardless, what was fun about this game was Josh Allen making impossible throws and Gabe Davis setting records and all that kind of stuff and Khalil Shakir having his debut. What was not fun about it was that the Steelers did nothing to adjust. And quite frankly... I don't think they're going to adjust next week either. They're going to do what they're going to do, and they're going to keep losing because of it. The Bills are set to puree right now on the blender. They're going to they're gonna beat up just about everybody and turn them into a pulp when you get a team like the Steelers that just rigidly will not adjust. It's going to be worse. Like, it was not going to be fair. Like you said, if this game was 21-3, to and the Bills sort of went going away, I would have been like, uh-huh. But instead, <laughs> just lit the fuse and went off. Record-setting day, Josh doing Josh things that we've talked about 
you know, week after week. This is not a new development. This is not like the Jets breaking out. This is just the Bills continuing to march over the rest of the league. It's, you know, bad defenses are going to get swept aside in the first quarter or two. Good defenses might hang until, I don't know, middle of the third and then still get swept aside because when the Bills are firing right now, nobody has a setup. Like, is there going to be a game later in the season where someone confuses them? Probably, right? They're going to throw some exotic rotations at him, do some things that maybe Josh hasn't seen, but that list is starting to get pretty short. He's been around a while now. This is not a year-and-a-half quarterback, right? He's seen most of, you know, he plays Belichick twice a year. He's seen most of what defenses are going to try and throw at him. But when a team like the Steelers lines up and just goes, nah, we're, you know, we're just going to put Mink out there, do what you can do. Josh is like, okay, I'll yeah. do what I can do. This is what I can do. What what can he do? And and Minka is playing at the highest level in the NFL right now. He is probably the best free safety in the NFL right now. If you look at his overall statistical season, he is easily one of the top three, if not the top guy. Josh says, don't don't care particularly. That's that's fine. He can do what he's going to do. I'm going to do what I can do because I am the best going right now at challenging people, at using the weapons I have, and the rest of the Bills, not just the offense, the defense is you know coming back a little bit from injury and playing at an extremely high level like they have been all season. It's not fair. You said it at the top. It's not a fair fight. And the Bills right now, as long as they don't beat themselves, it's not really a fair fight for anybody else. But the weird related stat of the year, not just of the week. Hmm. So Pittsburgh, great wide receiving core, the best team at drafting wide receivers in the NFL right now. Yeah. I think that's pretty inarguable. Yeah. No Pittsburgh wide receiver has found the end zone through five games. That is that true? <laughs> is that true? Really? So who's scored for them? Yeah. At it's all. Friarmouth, <laughs> Najee. We can double check it, but I'm pretty sure. Really? Wow. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Wow, you're right. It's literally they have two receiving touchdowns in five games, and it's, and it's one Najee for Fryermuth and one for Najee. Wow, man, I I did not realize it was that it was that gross. Like, and which by the way is just as much a reflection on Matt Canada as it is on Mitch Trubisky and and even Kenny Pickett. Like, Kenny Pickett did cap off a couple of red zone drives in the previous week with rushing touchdowns. Like there has been a little bit of, of hijinks there in the red zone, but God, I, I have Deontay, been very frustrated. Pick it Claypool. Like yeah. just keep going. Like they, they've got the horses. I don't care if it's Trubisky and Pickett and, and even Mason Rudolph, like, come on. You can't tell me that that wide receiving core, which is one of the deepest and scariest in the NFL doesn't touch the end zone for over a month. Also, I will say that stat might have been different today if Deontay just one time could get both of his feet inbounds. Like his his almost highlight reel, his highlight reel of catches that didn't count this year is as good as any highlight reel you will ever see. Yeah. But just that two inches of toe on the white 
has ruined like literally multiple touchdowns at this point, but also some crazy ass big chunks down the sideline. Like there was like three alone in yesterday's game where I'm like, God, if you were in college, you'd be the best in the nation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's true, but uh, the NFL is a fickle beast. And, you know, we've seen this, you know, previously, uh, Julio Jones, right? For whole seasons where it's like, and Julio Jones has not caught a touchdown. And 2,000 like, yards and three scores. <laughs> and you're like, that can't be right. And it is. And this is just, that's why it goes in three fun. Yeah. Uh, all right, three fun number three. We have some multi-role players that that had pretty interesting weeks in week five. Taysom Hill, the patron saint of of multi-role players. This was like Sean Payton's wet dream, like seeing <laughs> seeing Taysom Hill go off. The, honestly, the fact he's still on the roster is a success for Sean Payton. But the fact that not only is he on the roster and getting playing time, but he had four touchdowns in this game and arguably powered them for the win all by himself at three rushing and a passing TD. This was everything that, that they hoped that he would be able to do for them. Will we ever see it again? Probably not. <laughs> oh, but you know bleak, that but... Peyton's at home holding his oh, beer, yeah. pointing oh, at the yeah. TV, like the Leonardo DiCaprio meme, like, Hey, Hey, that's why I paid him that right there. That's why I paid him. Yeah. He earned his contract at least for this one week, but yeah, it was it was fun to see him kind of go off and have have the type of day that the Saints envisioned for him when they kept giving him millions of free dollars year after year. Uh, and then we had a couple tight ends that decided uh, to to turn into running backs for the week. Daniel Bellinger, they actually ran a, a Philly special with him, and and they covered it up well because nobody's tricked by Philly special anymore, and it's always going to get covered up well. And so he decided, you know, what? I'm going to improvise and just ticketed myself on the run yep. and so he did that uh was the difference in the game there and then durham Smythe for the dolphins also snuck one in on the jets defense from wildcat channeling his his inner chiefs energy uh which by the way once that happened in that chiefs game in prime time you just knew every other team was going to try it at some point because every time the chiefs break out anything new within the five yard line everybody else is going to try it Case in point, the shovel pass that we talked about at the top of the show. Kansas City's done that more than anybody else in the last few years, and everybody else keeps trying to do it as well as them. And guess what? You can't because you're not the Chiefs. You don't have Travis Kelsey. I wasn't going to bring you back to your shovel pass madness, but it was fun to see Durham Smythe sneak in there at the last second in between, uh, you know, the quarterback who was in shotgun and just basically grab it and kind of plow off tackle to the right yeah like nah nah um so always fun to see players you know when we say multi-role it's it's players doing things beyond what is normally done with them in the nfl it's cool it expands rosters it expands playbooks it expands what defenses need to prepare for um can be the difference in games there were again nail biter games this week and blowouts wouldn't wasn't going to make a difference in a blowout but if you're talking about many of these games that were three to seven points going into the fourth quarter and you get some crazy ass wildcat touchdown or you know busted philly special where the guy just runs it in okay like you can walk away with the w and at the end of the year that's a big deal in the nfl so we threw it in three fun um look we we just like to see guys celebrating and having a good time playing football and and occasionally that happens at the nfl level 
We are smack in the middle of fall now, which is obviously our busy season and probably a lot of your busy seasons too. But just because we're all busy doesn't mean that we still don't want to cook good food at home with fresh ingredients. And that's where HelloFresh comes in because they deliver all of these ingredients right to your door. The produce was picked less than a week ago, so it's as fresh as possible by the time it gets to you. Everything is all pre-portioned out, so there's no food waste. And it's even cheaper than if you bought the same stuff at a grocery store. But if you've listened to the show for a while, you probably know that already. What I want to emphasize today, though, especially for people watching on video right now and not on audio, is just how freaking good the food is. I mean, just look at this stuff. It's delicious. We made the pork taquitos two nights ago, and they were ridiculous. And it only took like 20 minutes to make. Every HelloFresh meal I've ever had has been legitimately really tasty. So me and my wife just keep the recipe cards so that we can remake these meals later whenever we feel like it. Kind of like we're building a cookbook as we go over time. So if you want to try HelloFresh for yourself as well, for no other reason than it's just good food, you can go to HelloFresh.com and use promo code BOOTLEG65, and that'll give you 65% off your order plus free shipping. Again, that is HelloFresh.com, promo code BOOTLEG65 for a 65% discount and free shipping on your order. Thank you again to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's show, and with that, let's get back to it. All right, let's get to my favorite segment, and I'm sure many of your favorite segments as well, the BOOTLEG Shot of the week. DJ, shot of the week. Uh, we're going to find out what happens when uh, Reposado fights with Mucinex in my, in my stomach. <laughs> I don't, Surely this will go well. I don't want that visual. <laughs> uh, that's not great. Uh, last week's winner, which is really the week uh, winner from two weeks ago. Two weeks we ago, get, yeah. We didn't get to do a show last week. Legereus Sneed uh, absolutely supermanning out to sack Matt Ryan to force a fumble. Uh, just a hilarious sack. The visual of it was absolutely hilarious. And also, Legereus Sneed has been a pretty effective pass rusher for the Chiefs overall this season coming off the edge. Like, he's not the only – Matt Ryan's not the only guy he's done that to. So, uh, yeah, toast speak, to you, Legereus Speaking Sneed. of multi, multi-role players, good job, Legereus. <laughs> and sorry to pile on Matt Ryan this week, but – Here's here's to you two. Ooh, you know what? That actually cleared up my throat. I was gonna bit. say, you feeling better? Uh, Oddly, not, yes. Wouldn't be the first time that alcohol's been medicinal. Uh, not even on this podcast. Uh, so, congrats to you, Legarius. We have five, no six, more nominees this week. So I'm sure the vote's gonna be an absolute war zone down in the comments. <laughs> this is gonna be in a pinned comment down below so if you have your favorite vote down there um nominee number one which in my opinion should be the heavy favorite which is why you put it number one damian pierce with the angriest of all angry runs you'll ever see running through uh, quite literally half the jaguars defense in the red zone got very close to finishing this thing for a touchdown but uh, very few times will you ever see a running back leave a actual wake of bodies in their path this is one of those times just an immensely satisfying physical run that made florida fans uh make dan mullen trend on twitter for like the third time in the last four weeks every time damian pierce does anything i know it happened because dan mullen is trending that's right i'm gonna go down my pierce rabbit hole even though it's shot of the week for just a second so pierce 
17 missed tackles forced on runs versus the Jaguars. Not for the entire season. 17 would be a good number for the season. No, for the game. That is the most PFF has ever recorded in a game. Not for a rookie, not for the... Ever. Okay, so that made me think, let's go back. Because I said, and we might get creative and pull up the quote here, when he got drafted, I said Damian Pierce would be a top 10 running back within two years in the NFL. And a lot of people were like, whoa, EJ, like, I know you like him, but come on now. All right, so let's just take a, let's call it quarter poll look at Damian Pierce. Mm-hmm. Among rookies. So Damian Pierce has 413 rushing yards, 359 rushing yards after contact. Think about that for a second. And 33 missed tackles forced. So among rookies, that's first, first, and first. Not really surprising there. Not he even is, close either. He, like is, he is easily the best rookie running back. So let's just look at overall. Let's crank the degree of difficulty up a little bit here and say for everybody in the NFL, where does Damian Pierce rank? So 413 rushing yards puts him at fourth overall in the league. 359 rushing yards after contact, third overall. Guys in front of him, uh, some guy named Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley. (laughs) Pretty rarefied error in terms of company. And 33 force missed tackles. He is second overall only to Chubb. But he's done it in 86 carries, whereas Chubbs had 98. So we're talking about the best running back in the NFL, Nick Chubb. Saquon Barkley is back, back. We have talked about that this year. Damian Pierce is right there nipping at their heels after five games. This is not a drill. Damian Pierce is the real freaking deal. And he didn't even really get to play in week one because he he was kind of nursing an injury and the staff wanted to be conservative because they knew what he was and they didn't want to hurt him anymore sure. and hinder his his ability to come back and be 100%. So as soon as he was like all the way healthy and they were able to put their foot on the gas, like he he literally carried them to victory like in this game. He they would not win without David Pierce. No. So he's just he he's all that and a bag of chips, a true three down back good receiver great pass protector physical runner super bursty he's everything he's just everything and the fact that he went i think it was the fourth round just continues to embarrass front offices everywhere because man he's a he's a special back uh nominee number two for shot of the week four net also doing four net things laying out three falcons on a little rumble in the third quarter uh, Troy Anderson, I, I think I saw 44, was the first that came in and got posterized by Fournette, He's, and then he added two on after that. Anderson's going to have nightmares because not only was he, yes, the first guy to get dumped on this particular little rumble, uh, Fournette got him later too. So we're going from one end of the spectrum to the other on running backs here, from the very fresh to the well-weathered, and Fournette got Anderson again later and absolutely just shoved him down with a forearm and kept going. Anderson's going to see Fournette in his nightmares for a little while. <laughs> Nominee number three, uh, George Pickens, who I think is probably the most nominated receiver we've ever had, and we're only five weeks into his career, uh, literally running over Dane Jackson on his uh, on his release. It was a third down play. Didn't get targeted, but... His release has no subtlety to it sometimes. If somebody lines up in press and you weigh less than 200 pounds, he's just going to fucking push you over because he's George Pickens and he can. It's like comical at this point how good he is at that. 
and he loves doing it too it's the signature release right george pickens he did this at georgia this is not a new surprise or wrinkle that the nfl coaching staff has thrown at him pickens will wait until you basically come sort of neutral in press right that you're not firing out and trying to get a hand on him you're playing press in the sense that you're in front of him but you're not engaging him physically first time he sees it he is going to double hand fire into your collarbones and literally just knock your ass over and he's really good at it there are multiple highlights of him at georgia just decking sec corners um so this is not a new thing but it's pretty cool that it carries over to the nfl level sorry dane we love you you were literally the first player that we ever interviewed together oh yeah uh hopefully it doesn't happen twice because first time was pretty rough looking Nominee number four is uh, one of my favorites, Quinn and Williams on a recovery, uh, stiff-arming Tyreek Hill back into Narnia. Uh, just a, a hilarious play. When you look at, like, the size difference between, you know, somebody who's, like, 6'4", 315, and Tyreek, who's, I don't know, 5'7", Not. on his best day. <laughs> and it almost wasn't even, like, a vicious stiff arm. He just put his arm out, and Tyreek went flying. He it little brothered him. so funny. It was so yeah. funny. Uh, it, yeah, weight classes exist for a reason, folks. That's why. Uh, number five, Cam Dantzler actually got stiff-armed himself in a real bad way by Amir Smith-Marset. But that's not the shot of the week. Got back up in the same play. ISM was, was you know, working his way down the field. Bears were driving, trying to win the game because the Bears offense came alive in the second half. Like, this was this was the play of the game. Dantzler got stiff-armed, got back up, chased down Smith-Marset from behind, and then stripped the ball out, yanked it away, ran down the sideline, got down, game over. So I I, I wanted to nominate this one because not only did he get stiff-armed, but he came back and won the rep in the end, didn't give up, made a play, got the W for his team. Uh, that was quite literally a game-winning play by Dantzler, and I think it deserved to be highlighted. Yeah, did you see what Justin said about it? No. I love this. This is, you can say a lot of bad things, and we have said plenty of uh, constructive criticism about Justin Fields this year. Justin Fields at the podium got asked about this play. And he said, yeah, look, it's unfortunate. I know he's hurting. He's a young guy. He's got to learn from it. I think he can make plays in this league, and it's our job to support him and bring him back to that level. Basically, it's paraphrasing. It's not an exact quote, but... That's how he handled it as the quarterback that got denied a chance by that play to, you know, take a shot at the end of the game. There are plenty of other things that happened in the first half that we won't talk about, but that's real class from your quarterback, from your second-year quarterback standing up the podium and saying, hey, you know, yeah, it's bad news, but he's a talented guy. He's going to be a benefit to us, and it's our job to rally around him and make sure he gets those chances. I was like, done, solid. Couldn't have been better. Put a finer point on it. I don't think you could do it. Like, great job, Justin. And and, and also Dantzler, too, who has had his fair share of uh, constructive criticism-worthy moments on this show. Like, Dantzler has... He's had difficulties in his young career. But that play, I think, defines his career in the sense that he will literally get knocked down but he'll get back up, he'll keep fighting, and he'll just keep trying to to help his team win games. So um, I love that for Dantzler. Again, I have been as big a critic of him as anybody. I was going to say, and some of us have wavered in our Dantzler support. <laughs> some of us. 
some of us. But uh, I love that for him. It was a great moment for him. And, and I, I don't know if he got the game ball, but I think he should have because he literally won the game for them. Uh, and then our sixth and final nominee, Raekwon McMillan. We talked about the fourth and fourth down stops for New England and how they became the first defense ever to stop an offense six times on fourth down. Uh, Raekwon McMillan put a, put a capper on that in the fourth quarter, 930 left, fourth and one, shot right through the line, got a TFL on what should have been, honestly, an easy conversion. Like fourth and one, you're lining up under center and let's just mash these guys and run the ball. Uh, Raekwon McMillan uh, absolutely shot out of a cannon, made the play. Great hit, great tackle, but also just the situation of it of like, hey, this defense is is doing something historic, and he was a big reason for why they're able to accomplish that historic feat. Uh, just a, a great moment for him too. And we coined the phrase linebackery things this summer. <laughs> this I, I love linebackers doing linebackery things and Raekwon McMillan, this is a linebackery thing. Like if you go back to like what is a linebacker's purpose, right? It is to stop running backs. And he came through very solid shots. One you could hear. You could hear the ooze on the sideline when you hear that crack of the pads. This was one of those hits. Very good hit. Situation just adds to it, but this is this is Raekwon McMillan doing linebackery things. Make no mistake. Uh, all right, let's get to our last segment. Weech, week, God, I can't talk weech, anymore. Weech, weech. Blame it on the tequila. Uh, okay. Week six watch list. EJ, take us through the games that we are looking forward to the most. Bills Chiefs. Enough said. We talked about this game in the summer as a game we were hoping to get out to uh, in Kansas City. This is a rematch of the game that literally shook the NFL world last year. General managers looked at the game between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes last year and thought, oh, my God, what can we do if we can't do that? Um, so we get to see the rematch. Should be awesome. Both teams pretty healthy. Both teams playing well. Obvious top of the watch list. Cowboys Eagles this is there's some intrigue here will Dak come back Cooper Rush has been playing really well we talked up the Eagles on our last podcast they're playing extremely well I would say the class of the NFC right now um, gonna be probably more fun even than we thought it was gonna be at the beginning of the season so that one's on the list and then Jets Packers like you said you alluded to this one earlier in the pod Packers are a little more vulnerable than they have been and the Jets are quite frankly surging they do have to go into Lambeau traditionally really tough place to play but I think if you told me you were circling Jets Packers in week six before the season I would have been like why we yeah. know what's going to happen there. <laughs> and now we don't know what's going to happen. So it's going on the watch list. I want to see if the Jets can continue this momentum, if the Packers sort of continue their slide, or if Lafleur says, mm, no. The funny thing is both Lafleurs are involved in this game on different sides of the ball. Oh, both yeah. On offense. Yeah, this is the Lafleur Bowl, which is going to be fun. And, and Salah, yeah. who's like best friends with them, like we're yeah. best man in no, the these wedding. Are, yeah. These are two very intertwined coaching staffs and two teams kind of on different trajectories that are somewhat meeting in the middle and we didn't predict that so it's a fascinating game to watch the bonus is i'm oddly fascinated by ravens giants there's wink there's, revenge game that's right there's yeah. wink revenge in there there's dable going hey i got a running quarterback too he's not like you but i'm doing some cool things with him <laughs> want to see uh so ravens giants is going to be an interesting watch it's my it's my bonus of the week saquon versus patrick queen in space though Ugh. Well, if you're a Giants fan, you're looking forward to that yeah. mightily. Yeah. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, lots of great games in week six. Uh, I think I will be at the Monday night game between the Chargers and the Broncos. My buddy works for the Chargers, and I asked him if he wanted to go. So I think we're gonna we're gonna go. And I'm working on a, a Russ film room right now. So I think I'm gonna structure it the same way I did when I was in Miami, where I'm gonna show everything that's gone wrong leading up to this point, and we're gonna go to the game. We're gonna watch the game. And then uh, assuming things are still going wrong on Monday night, we'll talk about if anything changed in that game or if things go right. Maybe we'll talk about what changed, but uh, that should be like a nice little two part film room. I I also think I'm going to work on a film room specifically on that stupid shovel option play that only two teams, in my opinion, are allowed to run now. And that's KC and Baltimore. They're the only ones that make it work. So they're the only ones that can run it. Uh, What do you got going on Bears over beers this week? Uh, Bears over Beers will be picking another player from uh, All-22 and watching them completely throughout the game. This is JB and I giving our opinions on one player each. I, I got to say, last week, I got to give it up to JB. He did a fascinating breakdown on Trenton Gill, who is the How? Bears punter. I know. You should go back and watch it. I- I'm serious. I- what? <laughs> he said he was going to do the punter, and I was like, whatever man like that's yours i'm gonna i'm gonna do somebody else uh he had he held my attention for a solid 10 minutes with a punter breakdown he had visuals i i gotta tell you i gotta give credit props or props are due he made punting fascinating and interesting and he taught me things about punting i didn't know which i was it was a great great job so may this week be equally as riveting with no punters uh, and then uh, we'll be back Thursday night, of course. Come hang out with us. Uh, tail the prize pick slip if you want to. If not, just have a drink. Chill out. Watch some football with your friends Thursday night. We had over 500 concurrent viewers for the absolute snore fest that was last week. I can't wait for this week. Yes, I know it's Bears Commanders. Uh, come for the frivolity. That's, that's right. That's why this exists, EJ. Actually, tech. tech- <laughs> No, we're we're doing we're doing all of, all of it. All oh, of it. all of it, including the big bottle. You mean all of it? Rum, whiskey, tequila, <laughs> all of it. This yeah, my hands no. are prepared. As as we have Bears takes on this general podcast, come come hang out with us on Thursday night. Blue Lake Bears will be playing. Um, I was on the Irish Bears show yesterday for a recap of the Vikings game. Turns out all three of those guys, those lads, are going to Chicago for the game for the Thursday night game. They're going to be there. So if you're a Bears fan, you're in Chicago, you want to look up the Irish Bears podcast, folks. They will be hanging out this week. Uh, they're pretty friendly. Go up, say hi. They will not bite your head off. Um, and quick teaser, next week, the show, this show, will have a new segment. And it is a listener-suggested segment. And it's awesome. So come check it out. We will? We will. Oh, I didn't know about this. But I okay. know. <laughs> That's the best. It's even better than when I give you like a quiz question you don't know the answer to. Now, listeners suggested a new segment for the show next week. It's classic. We're going to modify it. We're going to put a little bootleg twist on it. It's going to be fun. Okay. I'm excited to find out what that is. Uh, you should be. All right. Thank you to our executive producers, Marat, Consti, Caden, Andrew, and now introducing Taylor. Thank you to all five of you. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do this without you massive massive help and uh you guys are you guys are our rocks so thank you to all five of you you guys are incredible uh we'll be back on thursday trying to do our best with bears commanders show up for that if you want some company for it and then we'll be back for our week six recap talking ideally about all these great games on our watch list next tuesday so 
Thank you for sticking with us, however you happen to be consuming the show. We'll see you very soon, and until then, later. Take care.